When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. around the room tonight in someone else's clothes you're always coming out of things smelling like a rose you hang your head and your heart is filled with so much misery you'd be happy as you could be if you belonged to me this is pod dylan the show that celebrates the work of lucky Woolberry, one song at a time proud member of the fire and water podcast network i'm your host the freewheeling rob kelly and joining me this month or this week or i never know how often i do the show <laughs> joining me this episode is a fellow bobcat to talk about the song if you belonged to me from the traveling Woolberries volume three peter muller hi peter uh, hi rob it's great to have you here Good to be here. So, uh, yeah, we're here to talk about a, a, you know one of the more obscure songs in the Dylan canon, as I sort of remarked earlier on. This isn't even technically a Bob Dylan song. It, the, the lyrics don't appear anywhere on BobDylan.com. Uh, it's sort of, I realize, as I said it, I credited this song to Lucky Woolbury, but technically this is the work of, I think, Boo Woolbury, but we'll get into all that in a moment. But before we, we talk about the song, Peter, I ask you, how did you become a fan of Bob Dylan? How did I become it? It's been a long time. Uh, uh, and I got to tell you, this, this is one of the best parts of your show, you know, talking to, talking to people and hearing their stories of how they, how they came to interact with Bob Dylan. Uh, I'm 65 years old. I first heard Bob Dylan. I was in high school. Um, I, I, think, I think actually where I first heard his songs, I remember having a friend in high school who had an older sister who was in college, and she had a bunch of records, you know, and, and um, I think one of the records was a Peter, Paul, and Mary record, and it had Blowing in the Wind and, oh, maybe some other Dylan song. I'm not sure. <laughs> they they did a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I say, well, that's, that's kind of a cool song. And, and then, you know, the, those of us of my vintage are old enough to remember when music was just becoming portable. I mean, uh, you know, I grew up in a house where the music was from a, like a piece of furniture, you know. It was, it was there uh, in the living room, and, and the a record player would, you know, would, would uh, uh, put multiple records on, and that, and that was music, but it was not portable. I mean, it was in, in your living room. Um, but uh, in that day and age, it was becoming portable, and I remember getting a, a Panasonic cassette player. <laughs> and, um, you know, so, you, you know, you're, you're in high school. It's not like you're replete with funds, and, and so you kind of had to put some thought into what you were going to spend your money on. I mean, the cassettes, they were, eh, they were like 12 bucks, you know? Uh, unless they were unless they were bargain if they were bargain they were no good and um, but somehow I got my hands on uh, greatest Bob Dylan's greatest hits volume two and uh, you know I can remember the cover you know it kind of had light behind his head he had the long hair and right right kind of like kind of like an aura around him you know and and uh, I, I just remember really liking the you know that that was an exciting time too in terms of music uh, just a lot of a lot of new music coming out, but Dylan was clearly kind of a, a cut above the rest. You know, he he uh, always dealt with with bigger issues, and it, he, his music seemed more serious. You know, uh, and he said that in interviews that that he, he he liked he liked the form of rock and roll, but that for him it wasn't it wasn't serious enough. Uh, hmm. it, you know, it, you think of the Beatles song "I Want to Hold Your Hand," you know, or sort of Buddy Holly stuff. It was like, well, it's, what do they call it? Cotton candy music, or you know. Whereas whereas he really kind of elevated it, I think, to to an art form. Kind of put 
put poetry to it. Um, and so, so that's, that's sort of where I, I, I first uh, interacted with Bob. And then it's kind of just been a journey through the years. You know, it's, I'm, I feel fortunate that I'm, I'm sure there's people that have followed him longer than me, uh, but not much longer. And most of the people that you talk to, uh, it's interesting to hear their stories, but they're typically younger younger than me, and they got on the Dylan train later. Um, but I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to sort of, you know, I, I hear a particular song from a particular Dylan album, and it, and it just brings back a period of my life, <laughs> you know. Uh, I was in college when Blood on the Tracks came out. I actually even broke up with my high school sweetheart uh, that period of time. So there's like the no. world's best great album. And yeah, yeah, I, I still vividly remember I, I was in college in Western Pennsylvania, and she was in college in Indiana, and and I, I, we, 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 this is back in the day when you would write letters, you know, mm, and mm. so we kept in contact, but you know, uh, absence doesn't always make the heart grow fonder. It became clear, at least to me, that, that if I was going to be honest with her, I needed, I needed to break up with her face to face. And I, I borrowed a friend's car and he had an eight track player and, and blood on the tracks had just come out. And, you know, I had the marvelous thing of driving across Northern Ohio in the, in the, the, blowing snow to break up with my girlfriend and listen to the blood on the tracks for the first time <laughs> the way. Like, oh, you wow. You can't beat that, you know? Oh. Uh, so, so yeah. So, you know, yeah, I'll date my, my college years to, to blood on the tracks and ISIS and uh, even planet waves. I remember planet waves used to find that in the bargain bin, but I think that's like an underappreciated album. I, I, yeah. Wow. I, that's... <laughs> I always, I was like, like that. I thought it was undervalued. Um, now you, when you were then, when, you, when you were a kid and you were listening to Dylan, like what was your was your were your parents kind of like what the hell is that stuff or were they a little hipper to that? Yeah, my my parents like I grew up with classical music. My parents listened to classical music, and you know to this day, my, my and I'm not a very musical person. I don't have any. I don't play an instrument. I I, I, I don't. I sing terribly. Which is probably why I like Dylan. You know, I can sing along with him and sound just about as good as him. <laughs> um, and. and and uh, yeah, I mean, it's great to sing along with in the car. And and so to, today, I mean, my music taste graduates towards classical music. The, the only, I think, the only popular musicians of that era that I follow are Bob Dylan, and, and I listen to Van Morrison. I think he's pretty good. Um, but that's basically it uh, in terms of my and maybe a little country here and there. But but and, and every once in a while, I ask my kids, what should I be listening to to be hip? You know, I'm 65 years old and. Like I'm hallucinating if I think I'm ever going to be hit. But they'll say, oh, you know, listen to this, listen to the national. So I, so I listen to the national. I, I don't get it. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> so your, your parents, beyond. your parents were kind of just what, what was their, re- I mean, did they just accept it or were they looked at it as, cause I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by talking to somebody who was sort of there at ground zero. Uh, before Bob Dylan became established, I mean, even even by the seventies, his fame and his success had been to the point that I think maybe even some slightly people that weren't his generation would accept that he was obviously uh, very well renowned. But you were there right at the beginning, so were your parents just completely dismissive of it? Uh, you, you know, I remember coming home from college once. So my dad, while I was in college, my dad was an engineer, but then when I was in high school, I guess I guess high school. Um, he went to seminary, and he kind of spent the second half of his life as a seminary professor uh, at a Lutheran seminary uh, in Indiana. And I remember coming home with with a copy of John Wesley Harding. Okay, ah, oh, Dad, you got to listen to this because it's like it's just riddled with biblical imagery. Right, know, right, uh, right. All along the Watchtower, and, and 
you know, I dreamed I saw St. Augustine. Uh, but, I, you know, almost like me trying to get the national, I don't think their, gen, their generation could do it. Okay. <laughs> I, All I, right. Yeah, you, you know, he kind of like rolled his eyes. And, and, okay. And, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and I, I think that's an unfortunate thing that, that – and, and it may be a function of, you know, every generation has the music that they grew up with, you know, sure. and that's kind of what they latch onto. I mean, I, I, my, my parents really like classical music, but I, they could listen to like Sinatra and stuff like that, you know. Maybe they'd like them now, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm going to assume that in, in all these years you've been a fan, you've seen him in concert? I have. Um, I, was, I was trying to add it up. I, I, I think I've probably seen him uh, 13 or 14 times. Um, my, my first time was I was in uh, Philadelphia. This would have been the late '70s. He was touring with the band, and and I was a, a poor, starving medical student, and you know couldn't afford a good ticket. I, we saw him in the Spectrum in Philadelphia. It was one of my first dates with my now my wife, and uh, oh, they were terrible seats. They were behind the stage, if you can imagine that. And, okay. And the Spectrum was a hideous venue anyway. I've, I've seen some uh, shows so, there. Yeah, I've seen Bob there, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I saw him once there. Subsequently, I don't know, uh, a long time, long time later, and we had better seats. It's still, it's still hideous. I mean, it, it just wasn't wasn't a great great place. But I've I've uh, had some memorable memorable uh, live performances. I remember seeing him once in Kansas City. I, I was I was listening today to your uh, to the guy you were talking with about Desolation Road. Uh, yeah, Scott about, Pearson. Yeah, about, yeah, about seeing the Cranky Dylan uh, once, and I. I, I, there, there was this concert in Kansas City. He was he was touring with Tom Petty, and um, at the beginning of the concert, this was so, so Dylan-esque. Um, he made the comment. They, this was like their third night playing. It was a big open amphitheater, and um, to start the concert, I think it was. He, he said, "All right, you know, everyone, welcome, welcome to the concert. Uh, you know, the newspapers they've given us some bad reviews, but did you all, did all you folks know that?" That the people that write the critics that write these reviews, they get into these concerts for free. <laughs> did you get in for free? Did you get in for free? I certainly didn't. I paid a heavy price to get in here. Wow. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like so Dylan-esque, you know. Uh, and it, it's unfortunate that he doesn't talk as much anymore. He doesn't talk at all anymore. But but uh, yeah, the the old uh, cranky Dylan was good. <laughs> um, That's good. It's probably my most memorable. Uh, uh, it's hard to say. I, what, on my fiftieth birthday, you know, the, the family wanted to do a, a, a thing for me, and you know, what, what do you want to do? Well, well, he was playing in Chicago at the time. I lived in North Carolina, and um, my my uh, one of my daughters. I got four kids: two daughters, two sons. One of my daughters, Hannah, she's a uh, she's a she's a big Dylan fan. She was in school in Chicago at the time, and and they said, well, you know, we'll we'll fly you out, and you and Hannah can go here, Dylan, in Chicago, and it was. It was great because it was at the Aragon Theater, which was really just a kind of a little old dance hall. And it was a pretty small venue, and uh, and it was just a lot of fun. But it was just very uh, memorable. Although the one downside of, of it was it was this big dance floor, so there was no seating. Everybody stood, mm. and I think the Green Bay Packers front line was like you know five feet ahead of us, <laughs> <laughs> which made it a little tough. But but uh, <laughs> I, you know, they were big guys anyway, and. Uh, but it was a great concert. Um, he he, uh, closest he's ever gotten to me here in Eastern North Carolina. He, you know, for a while he was doing the, the minor league baseball mm-hmm. stadium, mm-hmm. and uh, the Carolina Mudcats play in Zebulon, North Carolina, it was about twenty minutes from us, and and some of us went down there and heard, heard him, and it was great. He, he was 
he was touring with uh, Willie Nelson. And right, right. You know, I I still remember the version of Highway 61 that he did. It was it was uh, amazing. It was it was just just really good. Um, and and the, and my most recent chance. So you know this this fall, I was I was kind of teed up to go here and play in Petersburg, Virginia. I know. I think from listening to your shows, you heard him in Baltimore, and the right. next show that he did was Petersburg, Virginia, which is really about an hour from where I work, uh, maybe an hour and a half from my home. And a friend of mine and I were going to go, and you know, it's going to go after work, but he called me middle of the day, and he, stuff could come up, and he didn't think he was going to make it. And so I kind of debated whether I was just going to go up there myself. Um, and it was, I think it was probably a chance to get a good seat because it was a little bit of an off the track venue. Virginia, I think it was uh, Virginia State University. I don't think even the concert was all that well attended. They could could have probably gotten a good seat, but I just decided not to. But I'm I'm sort of kicking myself now. I you know, uh, just yesterday watching the Patriots lose, everybody saying, "Well, was it Tom Brady's last game?" You know, and and I, you think about that with Bob Dylan now is is if, if I pass up a concert uh, by passing up one of the last ones. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, we all have to kind of make that calculation. Uh, although, you know, he seems to have no intention of stopping at any point. So that makes me feel good that, you know, for all I know, he'd probably be doing this another t- I, 20 years ago. I thought he would there'd be no way he'd be doing it 20 years later. And here here we are. And he's still doing it. So, you know, may, maybe we'll be seeing sure. Bob Dylan concerts when he's 98 years old. The songs will be a lot slower, but he'll probably still be doing it. So uh, <laughs> that's uh so that's very cool. So I, I'm curious as to when we talked about you coming on the show, you picked this song, and I jumped at it immediately because I love this song. Uh, it doesn't seem, it's as I mentioned, it's If You Belonged to Me from the Traveling Wilburys Volume 3. This is not regarded as one of his particularly great songs. I went and looked, did... Uh, as much research as I could on it, and there's not much to be found. Um, the one of the websites that I consult, bob.dylan.co.uk, uh, which is a really great site, kind of dismissed this song as not very good. And I'm disappointed because I really like this song a lot. And before we get into the, the song itself, I want to ask you, like, why did you want to pick this one? Well, um, you know, I think it, I think underneath it, it deals with a theme that Dylan, um, has dealt with for a long time. You know, he had his gospel phase, right? And then he kind of got away from that. But it's been fascinating to me how in his subsequent music, the gospel actually rears its head here and there. And, you know, I see this song, you know, the, the girl waltzing around the room and that is, is, the, is the sinner. And the speaker in the, in the song is, is Christ, that, 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 you know, if you have it, you, you belong to me. The guy she belongs to is the ruthless pimp, you know. It's, it's, uh, she's she's kind of on the wrong team. And it, it, it's kind of a restatement of uh, to make you feel my love. It, it's really the same sentiment expressed in that. And it's the same sentiment expressed in uh, got to serve somebody. You know, mm-hmm. so there it's more explicit. But I think Dylan in his, in his explicit Christian phase realized that, you know, this isn't going to sell. People aren't going to. It's not, and, 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 he, and he also, I mean, he's not a Christian artist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And yet he could be a Christian artist. He, he certainly understands, I, I think he understands and presents Christianity pretty well. Um, so, so that, and, 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 but the beauty of the song is it's so Dylan-esque in that he, he does this depiction in such minimal brushstrokes, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he's, uh, 
uh, just uh, you know, just the, the, you know the, the the first verse. Walt around someone else's clothes. What in the world? I mean, that's just so cool. What, what, what's what's that about? You know, you can you could uh, kick it around for a long time. I, I in fact, my hats off to you. I just finished listening today to the first half of your Desolation in a Row show. What a what a uh, I don't know what a muscular endeavor that was. You and the guy you were talking to <laughs> <laughs> took that one apart. This this is nothing. This is just a little thing. But it but it's funny with Dylan's songs. You know. His long, involved songs are good, but his, his short, uh, Blown in the Wind, how does it get better than Blown in the Wind, right? Mm-hmm. So his short stuff is really amazing, too. Yeah, I mean, and this. That, yeah, I remember buying this record uh, when it came out. I bought it on cassette for Pete's sakes. And, you know, I put it on, and of course, I was a huge fan of the original Woolberries record. And as I've said on other episodes, it was the Woolberries record that got me into Bob in the first place. So when they, you know, so, oh, we're oh gonna, okay. Yeah, we're going to put out another record. I was like, well, fantastic. And, you know, I mean, of course, we by that point, they had lost Roy Orbison. So that was a little like, well, all right, it's not going to be exactly the same, but okay. And I, 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 I liked the Wilburys Volume 3 record uh, a lot at the time. I think it hasn't aged terribly well. I think it's a little overproduced. It's a little too much Jeff Lynne, a little too much just songs kind of sounding the same. And as we know from, from you know, bootlegs that we've heard, you know, Bob apparently had a lot of contribution to, to Volume 3 that then Jeff Lynne went in and sort of took out because they wanted to make it seem a little more uh, equitable that it was all for the Wilburys as opposed to, you know, so heavily Bob. But this song jumped out at me and it stayed with me. And like you said, it's very short. It's like about barely over three minutes long. And it's just this short burst on this record full of the four of them singing of Bob by himself. And it's just to me, this very straightforward, tough love song. And, you know, I'm kind of like, well, why, like, and then then it's gone, and then we're back to kind of like, you know, the the kind of corny Woolberry stuff with, you know, Poor House and whatever, and, and uh, right. you know, and Woolberry Twist, and I'm like, well, wait, wait a minute, why doesn't Bob just do like nine more of these and make a record? Like, this is like, he's clearly got this in him to do this kind of, you know, I keep using the word tough, but I mean, I, I think that, that word comes to me because of the lyrics. After the uh, initial verse that I quoted... He goes on, he says, you say, let's go to the rodeo and see some cowboy fall. Sometimes it seems to me you've got no sympathy at all. You keep going on and on about it. You're so free. You could be happy as you could be if you belonged to me. It ain't easy to get to you, but there must be some kind of way. If only two could look to you for only one moment of each day. Uh, you're saying that you're all washed up, got nothing else to give. Some seems like you would have figured out how long you've got to live. You could feel like a baby again sitting on your daddy's knee Oh, how happy you could be if you belong to me. And then he ends it with the guy you're with is a ruthless pimp. Everybody knows every cent he takes from you goes straight up his nose. You look so sad. You're going so mad. Any fool can see you'd be happy as you could be if you belong to me. And other than the the chorus where you hear some of the other Woolberry singing along, this is really a solo Bob effort. And I just love that it's so straightforward. I mean, like you were talking about how Desolation Row is this incredibly long, complex thing from multiple angles. This to, this to me is just incredibly simple, but wonderfully direct. And I have always loved this song. I always have. And I'm always just sort of marvel how Bob can sort of seemingly summon these things at will and then just kind of throw it away. You know, like just like, I mean, to me, it's like I would I would have loved to have heard a whole record of these type songs. It would have been like a modern blood on the tracks. I mean, it's just fantastic. Sure. Yeah, no, that's right. And I think, 
I think he's underappreciated as a tune meister. Like, I don't know, you know, I mean, when he writes these, I, I, he writes the lyrics and they're just, they, they'll, they've garnered him a Nobel Prize. But the tunes, some of the tunes are phenomenal. And this was one. I mean, I, it, you know, because, because I knew we were going to talk about this, I didn't listen to it. Well, that, that's a mistake because it, it earworms you. You know, next thing you know, you're in the shower. It's like, hey, it's, it, you can't get rid of it. But it's, it, it's, it's just catchy. It's good. He's just got a knack for coming out with a tune that, that's, that's pretty nice and, and pleasant. Uh, you know, he could have he had a career as a jingle, uh, as, as a jingle creator for ads. I'm yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, but, uh, no, that, this, this song is like that. Yeah, it's, just, it's uh, simple. Yeah, you read the entire lyrics, basically, just yeah. a minute ago. Um, and, uh, and it's good. Yeah, yeah, the whole, you know, let's, you say let's go to the rodeo and see some cowboy fall. You know, how, how, how cool of a, of a description of this presumed girl, how, how cool of a description of her is that, that, um, you know, she's obviously someone who, uh, you know, you say she was rooting for the bull, not the cowboy. You know, she's the, <laughs> she's the person who goes to our races for the crashes, right? Yeah, it's uh, it, <laughs> what do you what do you make of the 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 possessive nature of the song? Uh the you belonged to me. There's a, there, that always troubles some people and I can understand that there's a I mean because like uh it, it's sort of going inverse of she belongs to me, but that song is clearly sort of mocking the singer's idea of she belongs to me because then because then that song goes on and on about how this woman is so independent uh and you know obviously does not belong to anyone let alone the 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 singer this song the 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 narrator seems definitely much more hostile towards the woman he loves her but he's sneering at her in a lot of ways and uh, in this song yeah yeah and i I, sort of i i disagree i think i think it's an earnest plea on the part of the singer that look honey you know it's like the first verse is good because because you, you know it starts at waltzing around the room tonight someone else's clothes well that's pretty happy you're always coming out of things smelling like a rose you know that's pretty good but then it goes you hang your head and your heart is filled with so much misery mm. so if that doesn't add up if she's if she's happy waltzing around the room you know she's because it's like a rose but she's miserable right and he says, yeah you could be if you belong to me and yeah i don't think this is possession like you know a uh I don't know some some uh, old timey patriarch, you know, owning his woman kind of thing. I, I, um, I that's that's where I think the gospel imagery is is good. That you know, you, you can serve the devil or you can serve the Lord, and you know, honey, you're you're playing on the wrong team. <laughs> <laughs> right, fair enough. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I am, was a little surprised by when I went and looked this song up, because like I said, the lyrics do not appear on BobDylan.com. Uh, so it's, to, I guess it's, they don't, it's, it's, uh, published under the, the, whatever the Wilburys arrangement is. So it's not considered, uh, a, a solo song of his, and it's certainly never been, uh, performed live. Uh, I think, I think Bob has only ever done one Wilbury song live and that's congratulations, which I think he only did one or two times and that's it. So this song was done, uh-huh. this was done, put on the record and basically forgotten about. But the, one of the things that, that makes me uh, a little frustrated is that I, I misheard some of the lyrics. And um, I will be honest, I kind of like my version better. And it's the, the the one verse where he says, it ain't easy to get to you, but there must be some kind of a way if only two could look to you for only one moment of each day. Now, that line about if only two could look to you, 
I don't really know what that means. I can't, I don't know what that means. I heard it when I heard him sing it is when he says, uh, it, ain't e- it ain't easy to get to you, but there must be some kind of way if only to connect with you for only one moment of each day. For, for whatever reason, that's what I heard. And I like that. Uh, I, I like that line a lot. That. And I kind of like that line better than the one is the official one. No, I, I, I heard exactly what you heard. And I think oh, wow. Well, right. Okay, awesome. <laughs> You know, um, I'm looking at the lyrics I have here that I got off you know, online somewhere, and they're the same as the ones that you just read. But I disagree that I, I think the way you heard it is the way I hear it, and it makes more sense. Than oh, it, than outstanding. It's, uh, well, now I don't feel so bad then. <laughs> no, no, no. And um, there was something out, you know, being 65, should the train of thought gets derailed quick. But um, <laughs> I was thinking about something when you were talking about the oh, – oh, your research for the Wilburys. The only thing that I learned in my research for them is, is where the name Wilburys came from. Did you, did you, have you stumbled on that? I don't think, so. I, no, I don't know if I know the exact derivation of where Wilburys came from. So I, I, I forget where I found this. I, I wish I could uh, give it attribution, but, but, um, you know, when they started, it was kind of a, kind of a jack leg operation. They were meeting in, I guess in Dylan's garage or whatever. Right. It, uh, studio and it was it was not the best equipment and everything and and they said ah you know they, they, they recorded a few songs they said, ah, there's lots of mistakes but but you know we'll bury them when we clean them up when, when the you know when when the when the technical guys you know get get it and, and clean it up however they do i don't know anything about that but but we'll bury oh. we'll bury <laughs> um i thought that was good the, the traveling will bury that's great i never heard that that's fantastic uh, yeah. Oh, the other thing, yeah. One other thing you, you said earlier that uh, you know it's 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 not 100 percent sure that this is Bob Dylan's song. Oh please, <laughs> this is Bob Dylan's. Yeah. Song. Oh I mean, yeah. This is clearly. Dylan. Yeah. I mean that, that it's if you if you ever get a chance to hear uh, the the bootlegs of the the volume three songs. I mean Bob is all over this record. He sings "She's My Baby" all by himself. Uh, Where Were You Last Night? He sings all by himself. There's a whole other song called Like a Ship, which we covered here on the show a while back, uh, that was uh, Uh deleted from the record. I mean, he was really, really heavily on this record, and apparently they took the tapes back uh, to England, and both George Harrison and Jeff Lynne were a little like, this this, this album almost kind of seems like it's a Bob Dylan and Friends record, not so much a Wilbury's record, and so that's why they did a lot of post-production and, and, and added, uh, you know, dub, overdubs and things like that to make it a little more balanced. This one, obviously, they couldn't touch it without – they were either going to leave it off the record or leave it as is because there's no place for anybody else to sing. Uh, you know, I mean, this is just so straightforward a, a song of his. And except that's – I just – I don't know. I just think it's it's just really – direct and i i never saw any of the christian allegories that you're talking about which is great you know i mean that's wonderful that even something as simple as this could have that many you know kind of different meanings to different people but i mean i just i mean the, again the line about the cowboy feels sort of i mean cowboys are always popping up in dylan songs you know, these sort of old-timey uh-huh. old-timey characters that don't exist anymore are always showing up again you never exactly know what time period any of these songs are taking place in they seem the line about uh, you know, every cent he takes from you goes straight up his nose. That feels very contemporary. You know, this seems like a very yeah. direct reference. But uh, again, we're never really sure where we are here, what what time this is happening. But I, to me, this is my favorite song on the record because it's just really uh, sharp and 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 uh, the shock of it. And, you know, the line again, the line about shooting drugs straight up your nose is kind of just 
pay, you know, put your head back a little like, wow, all right, this is very, very direct. And I just, I don't know. I love it. And I wish Bob had thought to do more of this. You know, I, I'm, it's always a danger in sort of saying, hey, Bob, I like the thing. Do more of it for me because he's not a monkey. You know, I mean, he, he, should, he has to follow his muse. Sure. But I would love to know where this came from when him and the Woolberries were sitting there writing these songs for the next record, where this one just it came seem to come. I mean, I've heard stories about Tweeter and the Monkey Man and some of the other songs. This one just seemed to. There's no information on it, and this is so frustrating because I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I get the feeling he he can be just sitting there with a napkin, you know, and, and out pops uh, out pops uh, blown in the wind or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that's just that's just Bob. And and the, I I think the reason that you like this song the best is the reason that I like this, this song the best because it's the most villainous song in the album. Yes, that he's. He's just in a league of his own. You know, you wouldn't want to go in a room with a bunch of people and say, hey, let's, hey, let's all make music. Okay, we're all, we're all going to pull our weight. But pretty soon, the cream has risen, you know, and, and Bob Dylan's song seemed to be better. Yeah, I mean, I said, this is, I, I, he put out, I mean, it was a very prolific period for him. I mean, in that time, in between the two Wilburys records, he put out Oh Mercy and Under the Red Sky. And it's unfortunate that this record, Volume 3, which has always had the weird thing where they change their names uh, they weren't the same Wilburys. They they all they he went from Lucky Wilbury on the first record to Boo Wilbury, and then I always I found that a little baffling. Why are they Why are they different Wilburys? Um, but this record was not as well received as the first one. I mean, part of it is that there's no Roy Orbison, and he was a big big part of the first record. And I said I, I think the production from Jeff Lynn is a little leans a, on the heavy side. I think overall the record's a little too twee, just a little too cutesy. Um, they seem to enjoy themselves. They made a lot of videos for it. I mean, good Lord, Bob is in the Bob is even sings a verse on Wilbury Twist for Pete's sakes, which is kind of amazing. Uh, but uh, this was it for the Wilburys. They never did another record, which is a, a shame because obviously he enjoyed collaborating with his good friends. But uh, this was it. This was uh, it was never you know the Wilburys were pretty much a done thing. And now, of course, uh, it's only Bob and Jeff are the only ones left, unfortunately. But uh, it's it's a shame because it said it. While I don't think the the this record is anywhere as good as the first one, I still enjoyed it. There's a lot of fun songs. It's fun to hear Bob sing a doo-wop song on the record. Uh, and again, he's goofing around the Woolbridges. And this song, any record that has this song on it, to me, was worthwhile. It was worth doing. Uh, so it's just... Yeah, it's, I think you're right, too, that, that I would agree that the first, the uh, volume one, is so much better than volume three because of Roy Orbison. Yeah. Just, uh, I think a, a, a concept like this, take a bunch of... of you know, establish stars in their own right and, and throw them together to make music is fraught with peril. It's almost like, it's almost like uh, an NHL all-star game. What a dog that is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nobody wants to get hurt. There's, there's, uh, it, it's just, um, it's, it's likely to not do well. It's like those, it's like those, uh, uh, benefit things they do, you know, we are the world and all that, you know, it's nice and everything, but, but it winds up not being good music or anything. It's, it's, it, they, they all have their own shtick and their best to their best to go with that. But but I think with Roy Orbison, they kind of had a pretty good sound. You know, the bunch of them. Yeah, and I also think that sequels, whether they be movies or books or you know, in some ways, TV shows with these sort of bringing back old shows, they're hard to do because now you're sort of locked into the style. Uh, when they did the first record, there was no Wilbury style. They were just recording songs that they thought were good. But now that they were back, it was kind of like, well, now we have to kind of write stuff that's a Wilbury's type song. 
And uh-huh. uh, I think that can, you know, that, that can hurt. And it said, the, if you belong to me, doesn't fit that at all. That's what, that's what I like about it is that it's so distinctive from, from the rest of the record. Uh, but I think that's part of the problem is that all of a sudden it, it became a little, ha ha, we're doing a Woolberry song. And it, uh, almost like a sort of self, I mean, the Woolberry twist is, you know, self parody is creeping in. And that is part of the problem right. with that. Uh, but like I said, this is still a great song. I love it. It doesn't seem to be terribly well regarded by other Dylan fans as far as I know. But I, I love it and you love it. And so it was great that we had a chance to, to talk about it. As I mentioned, it's never been performed live. Bob just recorded it. I don't know if there was an alternate take. I don't know if he just did it one time and got it and 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 put it and forgot about it. you know I was like all right it's on the record let's move on uh, but uh, yeah you know I'm glad we at least got a chance to talk about it and part of the reason I want to do Pod Dylan is to highlight some of the lesser songs I mean Desolation Row is wonderful and it's a classic but I also like championing some of the lesser known stuff so this was great so I really appreciate you coming on Peter well I appreciate you and your show it's it's a great show uh, I love the people's stories I I love. I wanted to thank you for talking to the, the lady you talked about, uh, the song, uh, The Sign on the Cross. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in your conversation with her, she said, oh, well, you know, uh, Big Pink is now at Airbnb. And uh, I was like, whoa, I, I put that right on the bucket list. So yep, that's, yep, that's, yep. Uh, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be a blast. But yeah, yeah you'll, you just and, – and, you know, your last show, Desolation Road, that guy, that guy was, was from Duluth and was saying how there were postcards of a hanging that Dylan uh, probably saw as a kid. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That was that was fascinating. Well, thank you. Like I said, I, I enjoyed doing the show. And yeah, Elizabeth Sutton was the one that talked about the, had gone to Big Pink. That was a great show as well. I love discovering new things. That's always amazing. So again, uh, Peter, thank you so much for stopping by. I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Of course, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, go to patreon.com slash FW Podcast. And there you can, for different donations, unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So I have to thank Robert Ward and another uh, Patreon pledger who chooses to remain masked and anonymous for their support of Pod Dylan. Of course, uh, you can follow the show over on our website, firewaterpodcast.com. It's on Stitcher and on Spotify right now, which is very exciting. Uh, of course, and you can listen to you we uh, follow the show over on twitter we're always talking bob there at pod underscore dylan and um the last thing i want to mention just before we sign off is uh this is the first episode of pod dylan that i'm recording uh since the unfortunate uh passing away of our dear friend zoom yukinori who was part of the fine water podcast network and so um Zoom was on this show, actually, way back in episode 29, when we talked about the classic subterranean homesick blues. Uh, Zoom and I also did something related to Bob Dylan for the Fire and Water Sampler show, where we talked about some Bob Dylan parodies from National Lampoon. So uh, it would mean a lot to me out there if you would go back and listen to that episode. Zoom was an amazing guy. We loved him, and we are so sorry that he is no longer with us. But we have uh, so many hours of his podcast with a, a, for us to listen to and enjoy he was a delightful man a wonderful uh, father wonderful husband and we will miss him dearly so go back and listen to that episode and hear me talk with zoom about the subterranean homesick blues uh, it would be a a nice gesture uh to as memorial to uh, the late great zoom yukinori so um that's going to do it uh, for this episode thanks everybody for listening and we will see you later bye Someone else's clothes You're always coming out of things 
Some kind of 